I saw a lot of visitors' hands going up as uh, we were welcoming you to church this morning. And so from myself uh, and my wife, Tess and I, who pastored this amazing church, we want to say welcome to the North Coast. And uh, I do believe that there is a lot to be enjoyed out here. There's amazing beaches. There's awesome food. Uh, there are incredible people. But I want to tell you that there is something far more significant and special, and that is the local church is alive out here on the North Coast. And so if you are visiting, I just want to say, please keep coming. Don't let this be a one-off visit. Keep coming to church. It's great to have you here. And I believe God wants to bless you in your time. I hopefully you rest as well and, uh, and that the traffic doesn't, you know. Well, for us, it's traffic. For Joburg people, it's like it's just another day, you know. And, uh, and so for the rest of you from Belito, let's celebrate the traffic. Next time we're in traffic, we're like, thank you, Jesus, for people on our shores. I'm excited about this traffic jam, the extra 20 minutes it's going to take me. I'm excited about it. Tap your names. I'm excited about it. I'm excited about it. I'm excited about traffic because it speaks of movement in our community. Well, I want to talk today about the song Awake, which is a Hillsong song uh, written by Brooke Ligerwood. I think you said it like that, and her team. And uh, it's an incredible song. Obviously, it speaks about an awakening taking place in God's people. It speaks about God's presence being in a room. And as His presence is in the room, so awakening starts to take place. And so we realize that there's a connection between God's presence and our purpose. We, we, we are fully aware that our purpose is found best in His presence. That's why David said, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. David understood that far greater than fighting Goliaths and far greater than leading the armies of Israel to the most victories that they'd ever seen under any one leader, far greater than these things, these victories, uh, this story was God's presence because presence always precedes purpose. Now, when it comes to awakening, I believe that when we get into the presence of God, it is awakening us to the purposes and plans of God. Amen? And so as we come to church on a Sunday, it doesn't matter what your background is, it doesn't matter what your apprehension to the God story may be. It doesn't matter what you may be going through in your life. I want to tell you that when you get into the presence of God, which is what's taking place here this morning, anything could happen. Anything could happen. And as you do that, so your purpose starts to come alive in you. I want to read a scripture from Isaiah 52. It speaks about an awakening. I'm going to give you a couple of thoughts, build a framework for what it means to renew our minds to this awakening. And then I believe you're going to get out there and have an amazing Sunday. Isaiah 52 says it like this, awake, and then it repeats it, awake. Now, whenever you see a double, kind of when the word's repeated, you gotta understand emphasis is intended. And so Isaiah is prophesying the redemption of Jerusalem, which in some ways is a picture of the restoration of God's church, his people coming alive, all right? He's prophesying this and he's saying, awake, awake, O Zion, clothe, clothe yourself with strength. Put on garments of splendor. How those words? Strength and splendor. O Jerusalem, the holy city, the uncircumcised and undefiled will not enter you again. What he's saying is that the devil's plans and purpose that destroyed you, Jerusalem, that robbed you from the purposes and plans of God will not come back to enter you. See, once God gets a grip on your heart, the devil's game is over. It will not enter you again. Shake off your dust. Rise up, sit enthroned, O Jerusalem. Free yourself from the chains on your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. The scripture is talking about an awakening, a new dawn, if you like. Um, and I wanna kind of give a few ideas around this idea of awakening to you today that will help us live in it because it's awesome to hear it. The song definitely stirs us, but I wanna get the scripture and the song to align. 
so that we can move forward and live in an awakened reality or a new dawn as I believe God wants for us today. That word awake, by the way, in Isaiah 52, if you go and look into its detail, literally means become your naked self. Husbands, tap your wives and say, that's good news. <laughs> become your naked self. Now, of course, it's not talking about physically being naked, although we say amen to that too. It's talking about a spiritual nakedness or a, or a, a genuinity that's on the inside being, being lived out on the outside. We call this word authenticity. The world is hungry for authenticity. Uh, Prophet Isaiah's first words to the church or to Jerusalem that would become a story of us, his first words to them were, be authentic. Awaken to who you really are. Last week I, I made the statement that God is not out to improve you, he's out to awaken you. In other words, he didn't mess up the first time. It got messed up in the process of life. People's words, bad decisions, uh, the devil's deception. So much of our story has kind of fallen apart at times because of this, but it wasn't God's doing. God's doing in your life was good. You are fearfully and wonderfully made as you are. And so the gospel of Jesus primarily is not out to improve you. You may have been taught that in past religious experience. I'm not sure who has had that voice in your life, but God isn't out to improve you. He's out to awaken you. Now, I'm not saying that there isn't more for you. I'm not saying that we aren't becoming better people in the process of serving Jesus, but in essence, what we are becoming is who already, who already were designed to be. So, so we are not necessarily improving on what God did. We're awakening ourselves to what was already there. Amen. Can I get a good amen, church? In other words, who you are is good enough. When you come to church on a Sunday, there's no expectation for you to be someone because who you are is good enough. When you parent your children, there should be no expectation on you as parents to be something to them that you aren't by yourself because who you are is good enough. You're good enough to parent them. When you're in society and you're representing organizations or businesses or schools, and you're thinking, what should I be in this moment? Or what is this demand of me? Or where is this leading me? Or what, what profile pic should I put up on my Facebook kind of status right now to let people know what they should, what they kind of want to hear? You don't need to do any of that. Why? Because who you are is good enough. You know, Adam and Eve, before uh, they sinned or followed the devil's lies, it says that they were naked and unashamed. Nakedness was normal. And what Isaiah is trying to say to the church or to Jerusalem is, awake again, become your true self. Let nakedness become normal again. Let who you are shine outwardly. Let the genius that makes you, you come alive. Let the creative person in you come out. Let the logical person in you come out. Let the mathemat mathematician, the academic, the musician, whatever it is, let that person come alive. God is wanting to awaken his church to a new dawn. Uh, Dr. Zeus, who loves a bit of Dr. Zeus? He said it so beautifully. He said, today you are you that is truer than true. There is no one alive that is more youer than you. This is the awakening church. This is what the song is stirring in his church. It's what the song should be stirring in our hearts. As he awakens us to a new song of praise, what he's bringing out of us is what is already there. It's just that it's been dormant. It's laid desolate, if you like, and God's Spirit is wanting to awaken His church to what is already there. Become your naked self. It's not about improvement now. We know that in life, most people will agree, we're made up of these three things. Body, spirit, and soul, or mind, as some people would say. 
And the amazing thing about this is we're talking about, talk about awakening is that in the morning, think about when you get up in the mornings, right? It's a slow process. I mean, I, like, like your body can be up, but your mind can be out. Like, don't ask me to make a big decision when I've just climbed out of bed. I'm gonna go for a run. All right, I'm gonna have a cup of coffee. I'm gonna let my day get going. It may all happen fairly quickly, but there's gonna be a process before I add value to society. How many of you know that's the case? Some people say, no, but I'm a morning person. I, I beg to argue, so am I. I get up really early in our house. Our kids get up literally at quarter to five when the sun rises. That doesn't mean I'm valuable at quarter to five. In fact, I'm volatile at quarter to five. And so we can agree that our bodies may be wide awake and in our spirit we know there's gonna be good things happening in that day. How many of you know in your spirit you can, you can leave church today, Sunday, and your spirit can come alive? You go home, you say, I don't know what it is about that church. I don't know what it is about Link. I kind of do, but I don't. And I just know that when I leave there, I just, I feel inspired. That's your spirit man. That's your, your spirit person coming alive. It's a big part of who you are, by the way. And it's coming alive and it's starting to believe somehow that there is a better day ahead of us. When we preach God's good news and the gospel, the spirit man in us, your bodies are here, they're already awake, but the spirit man comes alive. It awakens again in these moments. Maybe it can be just in a quiet time at home or as you put worship on in your car, you, you're already awake, you're driving somewhere, but something on the inside rises up and wakes. And so I'm aware that our bodies and our spirits can be wide awake, but our minds, I believe, can still be fast asleep. And the mind is like the, the engine room of our, it's like the thing that drives our ecosystem. So your spirit man can be alive. I'm believing for good things. I'm excited about God. I'm, I'm ready for this season of Christmas. I'm, I'm just excited and I'm up. But this hasn't lined up yet. And it keeps telling me it's not gonna be a good Christmas. And although in here I'm like, no, but it is. Here I keep saying, but it can't be because of X. Or it won't be because of what's to come. And, and my mind or my soul is sometimes a distraction to the very thing God, not listen, I think this is where God wants to awaken His church. God wants to awaken us in our mind, in our soul, in the, in the engine room of our ecosystem. You're already up. Your eyes are open. Your spirit feels excited. But has your mind agreed in thought and word with what's lining up in your spirit? As a friend of mine often says, your psyche needs to line up with your pneuma, which is spirit. We need to get our mind lined up with our spirit and body. That's why Paul in Romans 12, he says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformation takes place. Can I say this? Awakening takes place in its fullest, not when our body is awake, it's already done. Not when our spirit's alive, I believe for most of us, that's already in play. But when the renewing of our mind takes place. The renewing of our mind, friends, I believe is where the greatest awakening takes place. When you start to declare with your lips in song, what it does is starts to renew our mind and suddenly we start to come alive in what God has for us. And so what I wanna do is I wanna spend the next few moments just talking about how God renews our mind through the scripture in Luke 24. Luke chapter 24 is an amazing story of two people on the road to what we're told is Emmaus. It's post the story of Jesus' crucifixion. They're discouraged, they're distraught. You may have read it before. It's a story I love because it speaks about a returning. 
it speaks about two people returning to what they were always called to be. And I believe as we speak about awakening, as we see the process by which God awakens our minds, that today there would be, there would be some returning in this church. There'd be some returning to the things that matter most, if you like. They'd be returning to the family that needs you most, returning to the spouse, the children, returning to your faith perhaps this morning. But it's a story of returning to what matters most. Let's read it together and I'm gonna pick up a few thoughts as we go through. Luke 24, verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. This is now about Jesus and his crucifixion. And, and they were a bit concerned. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. I just wanna kind of pause and put you in the context of this moment. Jesus is now in what we would call his post-resurrection self, all right? I'm not sure of the exact form that that was, but what I do know is that this is post-resurrection. The tomb is empty, no one knows what's going on, and Jesus shows up alongside two people on the road to Emmaus, but they're kept from recognizing him. And I want you just to bank that thought because we're always looking for Jesus in the flesh. We're always looking for the obvious. We're always looking for God, if you can just do this today, I will just believe you tomorrow. God, if you would just prove yourself here, isn't that the truth? Because our minds are struggling to line up with what our spirits wanna believe, that is that God is for us, not against us, that in the end we win, that it's gonna be okay, that it gets better, that you know, good times are coming. We wanna believe this, but we're like, God, just prove it to me. Just prove it to me, God, and I'll, and I'll serve you. And so Jesus shows up and says, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you discussing as you walk along? As if he didn't know. And they stood still, their faces downcast because they were not feeling great about life. And one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place these days? Who does not know the things? I wondered if... Um, Half the reason that our minds aren't being renewed and seeing Jesus is because we're so distracted by the things. Do you not know what's going on in South Africa? Are you the only one who didn't read the news on Thursday afternoon? Are you not aware of what's happening? I mean, I, the other day, you know, someone said to me, what is it, why do the lights keep going out? I'm like, are you not aware that there is a thing called load shedding? And so, like, where you been? Like, 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 what's going on? This is how they're talking to Jesus. Jesus, are you not aware of the negative stuff that's gone down? Jesus, are you not aware of, you know, this guy Jesus that was crucified and people put him up there and knots all over because we thought he was gonna be the one to save us? Are you not aware of it? Are you not aware of that negative characteristic in your child? Are you not, a, are you not where you've been? Like, what, you think they're perfect? Are you not aware of that in your spouse? What about the things? Listen to this. Jesus says, what things? Listen. He is aware of them. He's just not concerned by them. He is the fulfillment of the victory of the things that they're being, you see what I'm saying? And I wanna show you how when we line our minds up with the thoughts of Jesus and the process of God, we awaken ourselves to a new day. What things, he asked? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people and the chief priests and rulers handed him over to sentence to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. They concerned for themselves, by the way. They're less interested in the fact that Jesus 
did something and more excited about the fact that he did it for them. They're self-aware, like you and me. Now, I know we lift up the praise of Jesus, but I want to tell you one of the biggest distractions of an awakened mind is being more aware of yourself than of him. There is a strong drive in the world today to self-awareness. I think it's a good thing. I just don't think it's the ultimate thing. I think the ultimate thing is Christ-awareness. And what's more is on the third day since all this took place, in addition, some of the women amazed us. They went to the tomb in the morning, but they didn't find his body. They came to us and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels. They just like, blah, 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 blah. Doesn't the news sometimes feel like that for you? It's like, could we just turn it off, please? Could somebody give me some good news? It's coming. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and they found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. Listen, he's standing right beside you and everything you're saying is you can't see him. And he said to them, how foolish are you and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was in the scriptures concerning himself. They wanted things for themselves. Jesus showed them things about himself. It's called Christ consciousness. Verse 28, and as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if going further, but they urged him, please stay with us. Whatever's happening here, Jesus, is too good to stop now. Like they don't even know it's him, but they're like, this person best stick around. Stay with us for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened. So two things have taken place in the scripture I'm gonna speak about just now. He showed them things concerning himself in the scriptures, all right? And then he broke bread, and their eyes were opened. This is the awakening, all right? There is a process that takes place in Luke 24 that is an awakening, and now listen to what happens. It says, their eyes were opened, then he disappeared from their sight, and they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And they got up and returned to Jerusalem at once. Three ideas, I think, from this story that speak about an awakening in our lives. In fact, the way awakening takes place. The first is this, revelation. Write that word down. Awakening takes place by revelation first. Revelation first, which is to see Jesus. Not to see yourself in the story, to see him in the story. Whenever I used to read the Bible, I always wanted to see, where am I? Like David and Goliath, which I'm David. Like pick up my stones, take out the Goliath. Get into business, take it out, you know? Get back into my marriage. David, oh, my marriage feels like a Goliath, but I'm coming in as David. How many of you have put yourself in the story? How many, how many men? Come on. Just, you love to be David. Of course. Ladies, maybe it's, it's Esther or it's Ruth or it's, you know, fill in the blank. And it's, and it's all these dynamic women in the Bible. And it's like, oh, I, can't, I want to change my nation. Esther, I'll make big calls for my people. I'm going to be Esther. And I'm not saying you can't take traits from the people in the Bible. I just, I just want to break it to you. It was never about you being Esther. It was always about Jesus being the solution. The whole Bible, Genesis through Revelation, is not about where you fit in. It's about who he is, and that changes everything. It's not about can you place yourself. So when I talk about Revelation, what I'm saying is when you read the Bible, the, the starting point to the renewing of your mind that we're speaking about today, the awakening that I believe God wants for His church is not to become self-aware, it's to become Jesus-aware. 
is to see from Genesis in the garden right through to Revelation at the end, the whole story has been, is now, and always will be all about, say it with me, Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And when we see him, something comes alive in us. Our minds need to be renewed, not to understand self, to be aware of him. Which is why I love the fact that when he starts to unpack himself to them, he does it through the scripture. Why is this so powerful? Because if that encounter had been them seeing Jesus in the flesh, it would have been tricky for the rest of us to make the connection. But instead, he held them back from seeing him in the flesh, and he showed them him in the scripture, which makes it even and equal for you and I. We can see the fullness of God in the text of the Bible. The challenge is we keep reading it for ourselves rather than trying to see him. Let me give an example of what this means in the David and Goliath story. We read the David and Goliath story, and we love it because David kills Goliath, right? But what if I told you the story wasn't about you being like David facing your Goliaths? It was about seeing Jesus as our David fighting Goliaths for us, all right? So here's how the story goes. David gets summoned from the Father's field. David serves food to hungry brothers. David sees an obstacle between the people of God and the presence and purpose and power of God. And David picks up five stones, we're told, that is a picture and a number of grace. He sorts out Goliath and he restores the ark or the presence of God to Israel. How many of you know this was never a story about us? And I wanna encourage you when you read the Bible, read it like that. Our faithful Jesus came from the Father's field to serve food to his church. And when you woke up on Monday morning with Goliaths and giants too big for you to fight, just know your David goes before you. Jesus steps out before you. You're not the one in the room first, he is. And before you arrived at the business meeting, he was there paving the way and softening hearts. And before you arrived at the marriage conversation that doesn't seem to be going well, he was there softening hearts and building bridges for life to flow. He is our David and he is defeating your Goliath. Revelation, he restores the presence of God. And so I'm awakened first when I read the story as what Jesus did for me, not what I can do for him. It awakens my mind. I believe in a church that's far more concerned about what God did for us than about what we can do for him. That's awakening. And some of you need to make the transition in your minds. I'm processing, what can I do for God? What does he want of me? How does this scripture apply to my day? Now, of course, the scriptures are practical. It's what I love about the Bible. But at the starting point, they're powerful and personal, and it's about Jesus doing it for you. The second thing in the process of awakening, I believe, is response. We see it in the story, is the response. They're walking. Jesus shows them himself in the scripture. He doesn't point them out, shows them himself. Their hearts begin to burn. We only find that out later on when they talk about it. But it tells us that in the moment that he shows them himself, his hearts, which is why when I told the story just now of David and Goliath, you weren't like going, yay, that makes my Monday better. You were just feeling inspired, like we got a good David. Your heart was burning. And what happens when our hearts start to burn and when we start to see Jesus in the story, our response is stick around. Stick around. Tap your neighbor and say, just stick around. Someone asked me recently, what's the discipleship strategy of your church? It's the church thing if you're not from church. Kind of confusing. 
but literally a discipleship relationship is just a learner relationship. How do you help people grow in faith is what they were trying to say. And, uh, and I said, we just ask them to keep coming. He said, I'm not sure that makes full sense to me. I said, well, then you should keep coming and see if it works for you. <laughs> because most of our spiritual walk is not about a documented 10-point road to recovery and redemption. It's about an everyday response to the burning desire of our hearts for more of Jesus. And when you keep showing up for more of Jesus, He keeps giving Himself more of you, of Him. You see, um, an awakening doesn't take place, friends, by five points. It takes place, first of all, Jesus, I wanna see you and what you did. I'm done being aware of myself. I'm painfully aware of my inadequacies. And all my strengths, I got my top five, my bottom five, I got everything in between, God. I got, I got my Enneagram flying left and right, God. I've done my HBDI thinking assessment, God. I how many people done a few assessments the last few years? How many of you were encouraged? You had, should have your hand. No one done assessments. I'm a bit concerned in this church. <laughs> but there is a movement towards self-awareness, and it's a healthy movement. But it's not the God movement. The God movement takes place when we are Christ-aware. And when our hearts start to burn because of what He's done for us, the natural response is to ask for more of Him. If you're here for the first time today and this doesn't make sense, guess what? Keep coming. If you're here today and you feel like, Dill, I just don't feel like the breakthrough's coming, guess what? You just keep coming. If you're here today and you're trying to figure out the next season of life, some of our young people have just finished school and they're assessing their future and they're wondering what this all means and it's not making sense and you're trying to figure out, do I need to go on a fasting retreat and get five steps to my future? No, you just need to keep putting yourself in the presence of God. If your heart is burning, just keep coming. They invite Jesus in. They invite him into their home. Dill, how do I awaken my mind? Invite him into your thinking. Jesus, what do you think of this current situation? Invite them in. Invite them into your family as you pray for your children. I know it's hard sometimes. You're trying to pray the prayer of the outcome you desire and it's not happening. It takes a little bit of time. Invite them into that prayer moment. Jesus, what would you like to pray over my daughter right now? Business, big dreams. Come on, I got a passion for business people. I got a passion because I believe the way we're gonna change this nation is by spirit-filled men and women, but also with dynamic business people. There are entrepreneurs in this house that have lost their courage because it's blurry. You don't need five steps. You need to get into the presence of God and ask Him to stick around in the decisions you need to make. God, what do you think about this business decision? I've asked everybody else. I've got 100 different opinions. What do you think? What do you think, God? What do you think of my family? What do you think of South Africa, God? I've, I've read about it. I've read all the things. Jesus says, what things? because he sees things differently. And if I see Jesus and I just keep arriving, chances are there is an awakening taking place. Share a meal, keep the conversation going. We're gonna share a meal just now, but keep the conversation going with God. I think one of the hardest things for me to see is when people come to faith, they realize God has good things for them, their hearts come alive, they, they raise their hands in a response moment, they invite Jesus to come and live and be a part of their lives and their hearts, they get baptized and then they disappear. And, and what, what, what I'm most distraught about is not that they've disappeared, it's that they've disengaged the conversation. It's, 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 like, it's like when somebody hasn't been coming to church for a while. They should never feel condemned. They should just feel hungry. 
Because it's not that you didn't come. You don't get brownie points for coming to church. It's that you're outside of the burning sensation for God to keep the conversation going. Stay plugged into the local church. Stay connected to people that speak Jesus over your life. Response, revelation and response and vitamin. And the third thing I see in the story when it comes to renewing of our minds is returning. Back to where we belong. Back to where we belong. It's a returning, friends. It's a returning. I call it hometown. Christmas is classic because it's like, I'll be home for Christmas, right? There's something about the Christmas celebration that puts home in our hearts or our hearts in what feels like a home. It's a powerful thought. But what I love about a renewed mind, an awakened mind, a mind, the body's alive, spirit's excited, but my mind, we're gonna start to see Jesus. We just keep inviting him into every part of our lives, keep arriving to be a part of his. But then there's this returning takes place. I just wanna read this to you. The Bible's, the story starts out that they're walking into Emmaus, it says, about seven miles from Jerusalem, a mile for every day of the week, all right? About seven miles away from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is home. Jerusalem is where friendships flourish. Jerusalem is where faith is stirred. Jerusalem is where feasts are celebrated. Jerusalem is the hub of activity and they're walking away from, I've walked this road, it goes downhill. They're walking away from where life happens. And I know some of you, as you come into Christmas, you know you've walked away from where life happens. And it's not about condemning you, it's about inviting you home. Back to where we belong. It says they walked away to Jerusalem and at the end of the scripture it says their hearts were burning, they saw Jesus, he had disappeared and they got up at once and they returned to Jerusalem. Tap your neighbor and say, I'm coming home. I think a renewed mind, if I can summarize it, is a mind that looks for Jesus, sees him and speaks him. That's a renewed mind. Don't make sense of you. Look for him. That type of mind is a mind that keeps coming. I wanna put my mind in a place where the words spoken align with the revelation that I've received. I wanna be amongst friends that speak to the voice of God in my life. I wanna be amongst, it's amazing, we have some friends, kids, friends that don't come to church. Their children love coming to our house and uh, we don't have a foofy slide, we don't have a super tube. I think I will one day build one as part of my dream. If you build super tubes, you're welcome to help me. But um, we don't have that. We have a full fridge and an open door. And we have life-giving words in my home. And for sure, 99% of the reason they come might be my children. I, I forgot that part out. But the other little one, I think it's because we speak life. People keep coming to Link Church. People in the room today, you feel like, I haven't even made sense of this story, but I keep coming. Let me tell you why. Because we are helping you hear the words that will shape a better tomorrow. But I can't return for you. Only you can choose to walk back to Jerusalem. You know, the word repentance has got two applications. The word in the New Testament is metanoia, it's to change or to be transformed. It's like a silkworm, you know, goes through metamorphosis and becomes that horrible moth. You're not a moth, don't worry. But it's a changing of, it's a, it's a, it's a renewing of, it's metanoia, all right? 
The second word for repentance is quite amazing. It's, it's the word shuva. We find that in the Old Testament. And shuv is the word that moms would use to call their children back home when they were playing outside at night. So they'd be out there, it'd be getting dark, be getting dangerous, whatever, it'd be like shuv. And it would basically be saying, come home. The two words we see in the Bible for repentance, one is an invitation to return home, and the other one is a changing of our minds. What are we trying to say? What we're trying to say is when we change our minds to realize God wants you home, He's excited to have you home. The invitation is not to change you, it's to return home. Awake My Soul is a song, I believe, and an invitation for us to return home. For us to return to the things that matter most. There was actually a song written about this. Remember that song was like, I'm going back to my peeps. Remember that song? <laughs> 45s and up. They know Bon Jovi, they know Beatles. But I, but I feel, church, as we close to, in fact, won't you stand with me, hold communion in your hands.